Now, I just have to say, Sons of Thunder over here, David, King David on bass, and Trevor over here on, on acoustic. We've got Kristen over here. We've got Teddy over here. We've got Ben and Jason Shore. It's all coming up on the shore, just like, just like Cambria right there. Jason Shore over here on keyboards. And then we have our special guest, another one of our special, uh, Roy Jeter. Did, was that incredible? I honestly, I was just imagining like Jesus right now being like, bring it, bring it. I want to hear it. You know, thank the Lord. You know? Oh, and then my friend Justin Pico playing guitar over there. Now, there's a story there. Uh, when the, first, the church first started, we, need, we knew that we needed a band for Easter morning. And so uh, we didn't have any guitarists, but I had an old Fender Jagstang in my closet that I bought in college, which is a, an electric guitar. And I had never played it before, and I didn't know how to play guitar. So I went down to the guitar store over here, and I said, can you guys teach me how to play the guitar? Because I have to learn a song by Easter morning. And so it was kind enough. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done in, in my semi-adult life was to get guitar lessons. And Justin Pico was my teacher, my guitar teacher. And it was so cool to take this old, neglected guitar that I thought had no life in it and then to bring some life to it and uh, to spend that time with Justin. And uh, one of the coolest things he ever did is he, he, he upped my cool level because he taught me a song I hadn't known before. Have you ever heard of the song Crazy Train? I, he's like, you have to learn this in order to have any cred whatsoever on the electric guitar. So, but the best thing of those lessons that I had with Justin is the relationship, the friendship that developed. And this last Ash Wednesday, three days ago, we had a worship service in here. There was standing room only with people who came to celebrate who Jesus is and to begin a time called Lent, begin a period, a run-up, basically a run-up all the way to Easter. And so what each person did is they had an opportunity, you saw it, to take a board, a broken board that they either brought or that we had here on the stage, and they assembled this. And each board represents a different person that came to that worship service. And... I love the boards individually, but what I really love is the relationship that we see here. It's the boards together. It's the culmination that creates such a beautiful work of art. And so as we move forward in this series called Reclaimed, Finding Your Story in Jesus, remember that the most important thing that we're talking about is the relationship. And it's the relationship to one another and it's our relationship to Jesus Christ. So the name of the series is called Reclaimed. Now, how many people have a piece of reclaimed furniture in their house or have reclaimed something or even know what I'm talking about? There's one person. Oh, everybody. So yeah, you can go and take an old piece of wood and you can create a tabletop out of it. 
Or you can get an old wagon wheel and put it on the wall and make it into a piece of art. And that's, that's what the Reclaimed kind of Pinteresty movement has done. Well, the name of the series is Reclaimed, Finding Your Story in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really have a hard time when I hear that thing, that tagline. I don't really think I have a hard time finding my story. I know exactly where my story is. My story exists in a purple box in the garage. And this is it. This is my, actually, I have two of these boxes. My wife says, can you just bring it down to one? And it's full of all the junk that I've collected that has represented my story over the years. And when we moved, I opened it for the first time in four years. And honestly, I haven't really looked at anything in it in 10. Do you guys have boxes like this in your life? So I opened it when we moved and uh, just for a brief period of time. And the first thing that I ran into was this, uh, was this yearbook from 19, my, my sophomore year of high school, East High School in Salt Lake City, Utah, 1993. And uh, I opened it and I, I just, it was kind of a throwback. There's like some Tevas and Birkenstocks and some um, Jerbo jeans and, and there's some fashion faux pas, you know, kid picture, pictures of kids. There, oh, there you go. Can you see which one's me? Not really. Um, anyway, so yeah, you're gonna have to take that away. That's just too distracting. So that's what I found inside. And, uh, and I also found this letter. This isn't the letter, but I found this letter. And it was a letter written to me to invite me to my first high school dance. And inside this box, I found a lot of other stuff, you know, just the hope of love someday. And also some really bad decisions in my life, some fashion faux pas, old Boy Scout handkerchief. Don't know why I'm keeping that in case I go join the Scouts again, I, I guess. And I also found some pictures that I really wish weren't in there. Have you ever done that? Just gone in and said, oh my goodness. So I made a commitment to myself over the next year, I'm going to spend some time, take a couple of days. I'm going to go through both of these boxes and I'm going to get rid of all the pictures that don't make me look amazing. (laughs) Right? So if anyone finds it, they'll just think, wow, he just lived a charmed life. He just had perfection everywhere. And it was just this constant, gradual climb. So today we are going to be reclaiming a story from scripture that is almost never preached about. I can can almost guarantee you there aren't any churches within 500 miles that are preaching on this scripture today. And I think the reason why is because it's not beautiful. It's not traditionally seen as beautiful. And just to get you really excited about our run up to Easter, we are going to be looking at the six ugliest scriptures in all of the Bible. Does that sound wonderful? And they're ugly because they tell the story of Jesus's abandonment, his betrayal, denial, public shaming, crucifixion, and then burial. What better way, though, to prepare our hearts for Easter morning, for that resurrection experience? And throughout the series, we will be celebrating communion every single Sunday as a special thing for this series, leading up to prepare our hearts for Easter. And so this story today takes place right after Jesus has had Passover meal with his disciples. The night, it was Jesus's last supper. They call it the last supper because it's the last meal he ate on earth. So this is the last meal that Jesus ever ate, and he ate it with his disciples. And after the meal, they, they went away. The scripture says that they went away singing hymns like we were just doing, singing and, and celebrating. 
And they went up to a place called the Mount of Olives where Jesus went all the time to pray. That was just his thing. He would go to this place and he would just pray there all the time. And then he knew that that night he would be arrested and that soon after he would be killed. And so this is the scripture that takes place. This is, if, you, if you think of uh, Holy Week as a hurricane, I was even looking at this, it just looks like a hurricane, doesn't it? If you think of Holy Week as a hurricane, with all of the events before, the, the crazy parade where Jesus entered town, the big triumphal entry, all of the turning over the tables in the, in the temple, and then the other end of the week where Jesus is crucified, this is the eye of the hurricane. This is that one moment when everything stops. Listen to the words of Scripture. This is from Mark 14, verse 32 through 42. And it says these words. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane means olive press, Mount of Olives. So there was an olive press somewhere on the Mount of Olives that they went to. And he said to his, Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be distressed and agitated. Do you know agitated? Agitated is, this is really agitated. Imagine like you can't sit still. So agitated. And then it says, he said to them, I am deeply grieved. Think about the deepest place of your grief in your life. That's where Jesus is. Even to the point of death, he says. Remain here and what does he ask him to do? Just keep awake, that's all. So going a little further, he threw himself on the ground. Can you see it? He couldn't go very far at all, but he just collapsed. He threw himself on the ground and he prayed this prayer. He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You ever just wished that time would speed up? And then he said this prayer. He said, Abba, which means daddy. Daddy, father. For you, all things are possible. Does that sound familiar? For, the, for you, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. And you imagine him holding the cup that he used at the Last Supper. The cup that he held out and said, this is my blood poured out for the remission of your sin. That I will bleed. Every drop of blood will come out of my body so that you can be washed clean. And then, and then he says these words. He says, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he went back and he found the disciples sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is so weak. And then again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. Imagine these hours where Jesus is saying the same words over and over again. He's saying, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Again, saying it, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Saying it over and over and over again in prayer for hours and hours. And then it says he, he came once more, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Have you ever been so tired that you're driving on the road that, you, that your eyes start to close, and you know that the consequences if your eyes close, yet you just can't keep your eyes open, so you have to pull over 
or just take like a 30 second nap. No, pull over. <laughs> just checking. Just checking that your eyes are open. And then it says, they did not know what to say to him. And he came a third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? A third time. Enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let us get up. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You know, this passage is filled with such contrast in that, think about the disciples. They are so unable to even accomplish the simplest thing for Jesus. In a way, they're so faithless. They're not faithful at all. Yet Jesus is in the garden and he is saying, the last thing that I want to do is to be crucified, to be tortured, to die. Looking at his hands, thinking these hands in less than a day would be completely lifeless, without life, no breath in his lungs, completely dead. And yet he says, not what I will, but what you will, God. Not what I will, but what you will, Abba, Daddy, Father. How many of you are giving up something for Lent? I mean, just, just a show of hands. Now, I'd like, I'd like to, that's a lot. I, and I'd like to ask you um, what you're giving up. Can you just shout out something you're giving up? Chocolate. Cigarettes, great. What else? Chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> Soda. Sunday breakfast at Vicks. Oh, that's kind of sad. How many vote that she should not give that up at all? Yeah, yeah. all right, give something else up. <laughs> so the first time that I ever uh, experienced and uh, did a Lenten fast was when I gave up salt. I come from a family of saltaholics. You know what that is? Like, we just love salt. Nothing's better, everything's better with salt on it. And so that year I gave up salt and I remember... I did great that year, and I just remember dumping a little, dumping salt on food and then scraping it off. But every time I did, I would just remember Jesus' sacrifice. I would just be drawn a little bit closer to Jesus, you know, in that moment. And I just felt like I had really understood the meaning of Lent in that. Well, last year, I decided to do a Lenten fast again. I was talking to a buddy who was in a men's group, and he said, let's give up something together for Lent and just, you know, help each other out through it. And I said, no problem. And he, I said, what do you think we should give up? And he said, I think we should give up chocolate. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, I'll give up chocolate. And we shook hands and we hugged, we prayed. We said, this is going to be great. You know, we'll just, we'll, we'll get there together, get across the finish line together. That... So three weeks passed. And, and by the way, the first day I ate a chocolate bar. The second day I ate a carton of ice cream that was chocolate. The third day I ate a whole chocolate cake. It was just like I had went on a chocolate binge. I've never wanted chocolate so much in my entire life. So I ran into him and he, I said, um, and he said to me, how's it going? I've been doing really good on this fast. Thanks for doing this with me. Oh, <laughs> like those disciples, I did not know what to say to him. <laughs> but I told him the truth. I said, I, I haven't done, I haven't been faithful at all in this fast. And you could tell that I really let him down. And I thought that I had failed that the Lenten fast that I had embarked on was a failure because I had failed. But actually, I realized that the beauty of a Lenten fast is when you do fail. Because you recognize not how good you are and how great you are and how powerful you are, but you recognize how faithful God is and how good God is 
and how much we need God that we can't even accomplish the simple things. Even if Jesus came up to us three times and said, stay awake, we would be just like those disciples, falling asleep, just like this. And then, you know, this box is filled with so many memories of the past. In fact, one of the reasons I probably avoid this box is because there's grief in there. There's loss, there's pain, there's embarrassment. There's so many stories in there that I wish just weren't there. Aren't you glad that when the gospel writers wrote the gospel, when they collected the stories of Jesus's life, that they decided that they wouldn't just show how perfect Jesus was, but they would be honest and true about who they were? In fact, Peter was probably one of the people who contributed and helped reclaim those stories of who Jesus was. And I love that Peter knew how important it was for him to tell the truth of who he was because otherwise would think Peter was just this perfect guy, but he was unable to even stay awake for just a little while. You know, for this series, we are going to be challenging you, and this is something uncomfortable, to pull the boxes off the shelves of your garage or out of the attics and to bring them out and then to tell the whole story. And this is what we're going to ask you to do. Well, not that. Don't worry about that. My wife's been trying to get me to throw that away for a long time. So (laughs) a lot of it. The brokenness is everywhere, isn't it? That's That's probably the best demonstration of how much brokenness there is. And to tell the true story of who we are in this life. To hold up all of the letters that we wish weren't there and the ones that we are thankful for. And to thank God for every little bit along the way. You know, God is shaping the story of our life. And if we look into this story, we will discover something else. We'll discover our story in Jesus. Finding your story in Jesus. That through all of it, you'll recognize the grace, the mercy, the love, the compassion, the despair, the grief. And you know, it's so hard in those moments of grief to really see that God has an incredible, beautiful outcome for us down the road. But but when you look back on all of your life, you recognize that it's there. It's written in the pages. It's been there all along. And there's healing in that, in that level of honesty. And so on the night that Jesus met with his disciples, before he went to the garden, he met with them, and there was way more brokenness than this around the table. There was a lot of brokenness. In fact, when Jesus met with the disciples right before he went up to the garden, he said to them, each one of you is going to betray me. He reminded them of an Old Testament prophecy. He said, the the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. You know, if we look back on our lives, we will recognize all the ways in which we have not fulfilled or been faithful to Jesus And yet, Jesus wants us to bring that to the table. 
the honesty of who we are. And he looked around the table that night at those broken people, and he said to them, I want you to know how beautiful you are and how much I love you. That yeah, you, that you, yeah, you've done bad things, and that, those things are really, really bad, but you are so loved. And I want you to know how much you love me or how much I love you by telling you what I'm about to do for you. And he said to them, this is my body, my whole unbroken body. And I stand before you, the broken ones, and my body is broken. It's broken for you. It's broken so that you can live more fully. There is a purpose behind all of this so that you can be filled with life and love and hope so that you might actually in your life become the hands of healing rather than just the mechanism and, and source of pain. And after he shared the miracle of that news with them, he raised up this cup and he said, this cup is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of all of those things that you wish would just, just go away, but you really have to allow it to wash over and to speak truth into it. He said, you know, this, this represents the new covenant because the old covenant, and this was Passover, they would sacrifice a lamb just to remind themselves of the depravity of the world. And he says, you never, no longer need to sacrifice a lamb to remember the depravity of the world. You will have my sacrifice forever to remind you and to, to, to make you fully aware of how dark this world is. But in that contrast, you will discover how beautiful and how bright the light of Jesus Christ is and how powerful the love of Jesus Christ is. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we receive your love and as we chew the bread and we drink the cup, Lord, we pray that, that we would receive your love in our hearts that we would become the people who are lifting up our story, the true story of our lives to this world and allowing your light to shine. Lord God, we thank you for this gift that you've given us. And we pray that as we receive this as a community, that you would heal us, that you would wake us up. You'd help us to recognize the depth of your love for us and the brokenness that we have how you take our brokenness and you demonstrate your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. So now...